TJ Dillashaw is one of the most controversial UFC champions ever. He made a name for himself early on by becoming a finalist on The Ultimate Fighter 14. After the show, he began climbing the rankings at 135 and at UFC 173, he stepped in on short notice to fight for the Bantamweight Championship. Despite being a huge underdog, TJ put on a masterclass performance that saw him capture UFC gold. He looked very impressive as the champ and despite losing the belt, he would later recapture it and during his second title reign, there were talks by many that TJ was the greatest bantamweight of all time. But things really began to change for him when he decided to move down to flyweight to become a double champion. Because aside from losing at flyweight, it was revealed after the fight that TJ tested positive for EPO. As a result, he was suspended for two years and because of this, he relinquished his belt. And although he came back and found some success, he was never able to recapture the 135 pound championship. So how good was TJ Dillashaw actually? TJ began his MMA career on March 26, 2010 at the age of 24. Prior to his debut, he wrestled in high school, which led to a full ride scholarship to Cal State where he was an NCAA Division I wrestler. After graduating in 2009, he made his transition into MMA with the help of Cal State wrestling coach Mark Munoz, who invited TJ to join the Rain Training Center. After training at this gym for a year and a half, Mark recommended TJ to move to Team Alpha Male in Sacramento, California. California. A move TJ made and after going 2-0 as an amateur with them, he went pro. And in his first 4 fights, TJ looked very good as he was obviously very strong with his wrestling and this led to ground and pound and submissions. But even on the feet, he was showing some promise. This early 4-0 record led to TJ competing on the 14th season of The Ultimate Fighter and he absolutely dominated in the house as he beat all of his opponents to make it to The Ultimate Fighter finale where he fought John Dodson. And look, I haven't seen this season of The Ultimate Fighter in years but I remember TJ not being liked in the house. I think it was because he was arrogant and thought he was better than everyone else, but if you remember the exact reason, comment down below. But the point of this was that it made the finale so much better for many because John Dotson starched TJ early in the first to become the ultimate fighter. Despite this defeat, TJ was now in the UFC and right away, he found success by getting a decision win against Wallel Watson. Then on June 11, 2012, he fought Vaughn Lee. Although Vaughn was actually looking pretty good early on, TJ was able to secure a takedown and as Vaughn tried to get back up, TJ got a hold of his back and locked up a neck crank that forced the tap. At UFC 158, TJ fought Issei Tamora and TJ looked good in the first by pressing forward and also securing a takedown. Then 26 seconds into round 2, he finished Issei with a head kick and punches. A month later, TJ fought Hugo Viana. This was a wild back and forth fight that saw both men have their moments. But then late into the first, TJ rocked Hugo with a right hand and although he recovered, he got caught again and this time, the ref stepped in. This 4-0 run was very impressive, but unfortunately, it got snapped by Rafael Asuncao who defeated TJ by split decision. But this fight was very competitive and action-packed, which is why both men earned fight of the night honors. Following this defeat, TJ fought Mike Easton, and this was an absolute domination by TJ who controlled the action everywhere it went, which led to the win by unanimous decision. After this win, TJ was supposed to fight Takeya Mizugaki at UFC 173, but this card changed quickly once the main event between Chris Weidman and Vitor Belfort got cancelled due to Vitor being on TRT and although Leo Tomichida stepped in as a replacement, Chris would then pull out due to injury. So the UFC decided to book a fight between bantamweight champion Henan Barao and Rafael Asuncao. But Rafael declined this fight due to a rib injury. So the UFC decided to give TJ the shot at the title instead. But of course, TJ was a huge underdog heading into this fight. And with very good reason because Henan Barao at this point was looking so dominant that he was getting comparisons to Anderson Silva. So this truly was expected to be a win for Barat.
Morale. But instead, TJ proved so many people wrong because he put on the performance of a lifetime. Right away, he looked confident on the feet, and this led to a knockdown later into the first. Morale was moments from being finished by either ground and pound or a rear naked choke, but he managed to survive. Regardless, nothing really changed for him as he was eating a lot of shots and was unable to get anything going himself. At this point, TJ knew he had it in the bag. And this momentum continued into the final round where he connected with a head kick and punches that ended the fight. TJ Dillashaw was the new UFC bantamweight champion. He got a performance of the night and fight of the night bonus. And overall, this was a performance that many considered as one of the greatest in MMA history. It wasn't your average upset. It was one where we saw the birth of a future star because if TJ was able to do this to Burrell, imagine what he could do to the rest of the division. And with MMA fighter turned coach Dwayne Ludwig in TJ's corner, it really seemed like TJ had a promising future ahead of him. But first, he was set to fight Burrell in an immediate rematch at UFC 177, which honestly, despite the one-sided win the first time, I was okay with this decision since Burrell was dominant for a long time and there was a case to be made that maybe the knockdown late in round one in their first fight concussed Burrell and because of it, he was unable to recover. But on the day of the weigh-ins, Burrell was rushed to the hospital due to a bad weight cut. This resulted in Burrell obviously pulling out and although TJ didn't have to go up against the replacement, he decided he wanted to save the show so he stayed on the card and defended his belt against Joe Soto who was already supposed to compete on the prelims of this card. And as expected, TJ dominated in this fight before getting the finish in round 5 via head kick and punches. TJ got a performance of the night bonus for this win and afterwards, the rematch with Burrell was set for UFC 186. But a month before the event, TJ pulled out due to a broken rib so he was out for 11 months before finally coming back and fighting Burrell for a second time. And once again, it was a fairly one-sided fight in favor for TJ who outstruck Hennon for the entire fight before getting the finish 35 seconds into the fourth with a barrage of punches that forced the ref to step in. This win earned TJ another performance of the night bonus. And at this point, it seemed like things were going great for TJ. But behind the scenes, a lot was going on, specifically with TJ and Team Alpha Male. Ever since he began working with Dwayne Ludwig, the relationship with Team Alpha Male began to crumble and even Conor McGregor himself said that TJ was a snake in the grass. Something Team Alpha Male owner Uriah Faber wasn't buying, but Conor was right as TJ left the team in 2015 and began training with Dwayne full time. So although bridges were burned, TJ was on the next chapter of his career and his next fight was going to be a huge one as his opponent was former bantamweight champion Dominic Cruz. And this fight was so big because it was one that was going to determine who was the 135 pound goat. Because Dominic was someone that many people considered as the greatest bantamweight of all time since he never lost his belt but the past few years for him prior to this fight with TJ was plagued with injuries. Meanwhile, TJ was red hot and he seemed to be the future of the division. And and with Dominic being out for almost two years prior to this fight, the momentum was definitely not on his side. But this was a closely contested bout that saw both men have their moments. It was action-packed and earned both men fight of the night honors, but in the end, it was Dominic who won by split decision. And there were some who believed TJ was robbed, but overall, I think they were happy about this storyline, especially since TJ became the villain after leaving Team Alpha Male. Six months later, TJ made his return at UFC 200 and fought Rafael Asuncao for a second time 
time, and this time around, he put on a very impressive performance that saw him win by unanimous decision. At UFC 207, TJ fought John Lineker, and once again, TJ showed why he was still one of the best bantamweights in the world as he controlled the action for all three rounds, which led to 30-26s from each judge. These two wins were enough for TJ to fight for the bantamweight championship against the newly crowned champion, Cody Garbrandt, who won the belt against Dominic Cruz in a fashion that was very similar to when TJ defeated Tenenbaum the first time. He looked dominant in capturing the belt, and at the age of 25, there was a lot of promise for Cody. And this first title defense was going to be huge because not only was it against a guy who many thought was going to be the future of the division, but it was also against a former teammate as Cody trained with Team Alpha Male. And with all the drama that happened between TJ and Team Alpha Male, it meant that this fight with Cody had a lot of bad blood, and that was on full display prior to their fight as both men were coaches on the 25th season of The Ultimate Fighter. These guys absolutely hated each other and people loved it. And that animosity showed in their fight as it was guns blazing right off the bat. And late into the first, Cody clipped TJ and looked like he could finish the fight had the round not ended. But heading into the second, it wasn't looking good for TJ. But then he connected with a head kick that dropped Cody and although Cody got back up, he got dropped with the right hand and after some more punches, the ref stepped in, making TJ the bantamweight champion for a second time. Now despite this finish and Cody not being a longtime champion, the UFC still decided to go with the immediate rematch and I think a lot of it was because Cody was their golden boy and they were not ready for him to lose the belt this quickly. So at UFC 227, TJ fought Cody for a second time. And much like their first fight, the two went at it right away on the feet and both men had their moments. But it was TJ who was having more and near the end of the first, he connected with a flurry of punches and a big knee that forced the ref to step in. Now at this point, TJ's stock was at an all-time high. Even though he lost the belt to Dominic, he got it back and it seemed like he was continuing on the path to becoming the bantamweight goat. And honestly, at this point, a lot of people considered TJ as the greatest 135er of all time. But his next fight wasn't going to be at bantamweight because TJ wanted to build on his legacy by becoming a double champion in the UFC. But instead of going up in weight like most double champions did, he decided he was going to go down to flyweight and fight the newly crowned champion, Henry Cejudo. And TJ vowed to not only capture this belt, but also put an end to the 125 pound division, which at this point was not a division that many people liked due to how shallow it was in terms of talent. Even the UFC was thinking about putting an end to this division. And that most likely would have happened had TJ won this fight, which a lot of people at this time thought was going to happen as the odds had him as the favorite. But instead, he lost. And he lost bad as Henry finished him 32 seconds into the first round with punches. This was a devastating defeat for TJ, but honestly, a lot of people were happy about it because many didn't respect TJ for taking this fight in the first place as they believed he was overlooking Henry and the 125 pound division as a whole. So for this to happen, especially for TJ haters, it must have felt sweet. But oh boy, was it only going to get sweeter for them. Because two months after this defeat, TJ voluntarily relinquished his bantamweight championship after he tested positive for EPO. This led to a two-year suspension from USADA and a one-year suspension from the New York State Athletic Commission, meaning that TJ would be out for three years and was eligible to come back on January 19, 2021. Of course, this ruined everything for TJ, who also fully admitted to taking EPO on his Instagram. The once very difficult conversation about who was the bantamweight goat was now clear due to this situation. And honestly, at this point, it seemed like it was over for TJ, who was 32 at the time of this suspension, and by the time he was able to come back, he'd be 35 on his way to 36. And with a very young, talented crop of 135ers on the come up, it was going to be hard for him when he returned. And that's what happened on July 21st, 
2021 when TJ made his return against surging bantamweight Corey Sanhagen. Despite momentum not being on TJ's side whatsoever, he made it a competitive fight and despite getting cut open early on, he stayed in it and ultimately won by split decision. Which was a decision that was controversial as 17 out of 23 media outlets scored the fight for Corey. Regardless, it was an impressive showing from the aging TJ who was eyeing to get another shot at the title. But after this fight, he was out for more than a year due to a knee injury. He came back on October 22nd, 2022 to fight the champion Aljamain Sterling at UFC 280. But unfortunately for TJ, he was compromised early in this fight after he dislocated his shoulder from an Aljamain takedown. And from there, it was a one-sided fight as TJ was struggling big time and was just doing his best to survive. But in round two, Aljo brought the fight down and threw ground and pound before the ref stepped in. In his post-fight interview, TJ said that he dislocated his shoulder a good 20 times during training camp and even told the ref before the fight that it might dislocate during the fight and if it does, don't stop it. Regardless, before this fight, TJ was discussing the possibility of retirement, win or lose. But with this defeat and with this shoulder injury that required surgery, he decided to call it a career. So after going 17-5 and in a career that saw him become a two-time UFC bantamweight champion, how good was TJ Dillashaw actually? TJ was such a polarizing fighter. We have someone who clearly was very skilled. His wrestling was strong, his rear naked choke was nasty, and so was his ground and pound. But man, his stand-up really improved throughout his career. And his head kicks were absolutely beautiful. He was a strong grappler who could finish the fight with one shot. Mix this with his fight IQ, his insane movement, and Dwayne Ludwig as a coach and we got a fighter who was a problem anywhere the fight went. And this led to him becoming a two-time UFC champion and when I said that people considered him as the bantamweight goat at one point, I have to admit I was one of those people or at the very least I was on my way to becoming one of those people, especially after his second fight with Cody Garbrandt. At his peak, TJ Dillashaw seemed unstoppable. Even with a career where he was the villain at times, there was no denying his greatness when he was at the top. But then he made the move to 125 pounds and that was the start of his colossal downfall. He had to make that brutal cut to flyweight only to lose a fight in under a minute and then he loses his bantamweight championship once it was revealed that he was the true CEO of EPO. TJ's fall was massive and honestly, I'm having a hard time deciding what rating I would give his career. Because yes, the controversy surrounding his MMA career is huge, especially the EPO stuff. And one of my biggest rules is that once a fighter fails a drug test aside from marijuana, I can't consider them in the GOAT conversation if they get to those levels. And for TJ, even though he was in consideration for being the bantamweight GOAT, that's a title that clearly goes to Dominic Cruz as of right now. But in regards to what TJ did as an MMA fighter, I can't deny that it was epic. After all, I still consider Anderson Silva as a legend despite him failing a drug test. And I think for TJ, the reaction was way worse because one, he already had so many haters, and two, this failed drug test was so public because it happened at the prime of his career. We never really had such a high profile situation like this where a champion was caught red handed and even admitted to what happened. But in the end of the day, so many great fighters have failed drug tests. Although there will be an asterisk on their careers, their skills and overall greatness cannot be denied. TJ Dillashaw was a phenomenal fighter that I enjoyed watching and he was without a doubt a huge part of the growth of the bantamweight division. That's why I would give his MMA career a 9 out of 10. But what do you think? How good was TJ Dillashaw actually? And what was your favorite moment from his career? But that's a lot for now, so I'll see you in my next one. Bye-bye.